Greetings from my home once more, everybody. I just returned from Louisiana, where I had a blast with one local fan, who I appreciate all the more after showing me the top-secret local restaurant scene. In show news, today my very special guest is Karen Valensic. She's an Amazon best-selling author and Newsweek published writer on the topic of conflict and how to not let it get the best of you. She brings decades of training major companies back into working order through her unique spiral impact style. Much like a hurricane, this interview takes a little while to get up to speed, but the latter half is a must for knowledge and hard-won wisdom. On a future note, I believe this is the last of the episodes before the questions and answers episode I want to do. I don't have as many questions from the audience as I thought I'd get, so if you've ever wanted to ask me anything or anything about the show, uh, be sure to email me dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com before Sunday the 23rd so I can get them into the show. I'm hoping to make that episode a live stream on Podbean since they've been really good to me lately. I'm planning it for Sunday the 23rd of January at 7 p.m. standard. So come check that out live and get in on the shenanigans that I'm sure will happen. Otherwise, it'll be available Monday as a recording, just like all the others before this, except for this one. I know, sorry I'm late on a day, I'm very jet-lagged. Showtime. Let's remember, everyone, control yourself, control the conflict. Karen Valensic, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's I'm delighted to be here. I am so glad to have you. So uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm Karen Valensic, and I am the, I'm going to say I'm the author and founder of Spiral Impact, The Power to Get It Done with Grace. I've been working for 25 years, actually, doing leadership and team development with an emphasis on conflict, change, and innovation. And so what brought me into this field is actually conflict. And I I talk about mastering conflict, which is a little bit in opposition to resolving conflict or managing conflict. So that's a little bit about me. I bring, so I'm an engineer by degree. So I I use a lot of physics in my work. And I'm also a 30-year practitioner of a martial art that is called Aikido. Have you heard of that, Colton? Uh, it sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah. So, well, Aikido, I don't want to be monopolizing the conversation. So, (laughs) so Aikido is a martial art that I was intrigued with many, many years ago. I had read, read a story about it, but Aikido came out of Japan back in the mid after the second world war. It was developed by a man that was an expert in a lot of different martial arts. And he he kind of found midlife that he was teaching and practicing arts that were really about killing and maiming people, but his values were all around uh, community and family. And he realized there was a disconnection. So he actually took a sabbatical and in a long story, he made short practicing with a different intention. So his intention came to be to nurture his attacker's life as well as his own. And so Aikido is spelled A-I, which means blending, K-I, which means energy, and Do 
is the way of life. So it's the way of life through the blending of energy. And so my work is all grounded in the martial arts. Well, that's very cool. It sounds like that kind of went into how you named your program. Yeah, because Aikido is really, um, you know, it's a it's an art that's about position rather than force. So when something comes at you, you move in and with it, which is a spiral. And so it's not circle. A circle is is only two dimensionals. It's really a a spiral, and and that's what I thought. And I wanted to make it. I use the word impact because I wanted to make sure that people knew what. While this seemed like you know, and some people want to call it nonviolent communication, but I really, to me, it's important that communication actually has some kind of an impact, some kind of a, a result of it. So that's why I chose impact with it. The power to get it done with grace is the subtitle. And so grace means ease, finesse, style, beauty, that whatever you want to, um, whatever you, whatever works for you. So, so Along that, what kind of conflict does spiral impact really address? Well, I, I don't want to be the say that it's everything, but <laughs> hey, that would be great. Well, it does, but it really does because it's like, because sometimes the conflict is all inside of ourselves. So it it can address your own your own internal conflict it can certainly it certainly addresses conflict that you have with other people it can also address conflict that you might have with an event or actually even a thing so think about this may be a old kind of thing but in the in the past we've actually had keys that you had to put in a lock and turn so you could try to force a key into a lock and it doesn't fit but you want to make it work so you you force it in there and then you turn it and then you end up breaking your key. I mean, that's just a kind of a simple example of a thing that you can have a conflict with or even plumbing. I, I actually wrote a blog a few years ago about plumbing, how I had conflict with a leak in my basement. And so how do you approach that? It's it's really all about how do you engage with something that's that's making you struggle or or getting you stuck. So So it can be within yourself. It can be with another person, a thing. I do a lot of work with teams as well. And the, the interesting thing about conflict is, is that you want to have conflict. And when you think about it, I often say that, that conflict change and innovation are like three very close cousins. And you cannot have one of those without having the other two. Think about um, oftentimes something that's a conflict and, and I've used an example of those little motor scooters. You know, they have them around to rent. I think well, during the pandemic, you probably didn't see them as much, but I've been seeing them more where we have those rental little scooters. And, and the conflict that those addressed is the um, ability to be able to move quickly when you can't drive a car. And so they created these motor scooters. And so that's that's the innovation. But yet that innovation created a change and that change created more conflict because the change didn't educate people and create some things around safety and lawsuits and all that stuff. So then you're back to another conflict. So anyway, those three things are close cousins. People really want to avoid conflict 
they, 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 they think they want things to change. They want other people to change, but they always want innovation. So all those things work together. So I, I do work with teams so that they can engage more in their differences so they can bring about the best of what a group has to offer. And that's always, that's, that's kind of the bread and butter of my business is working with, with teams to help them engage in a way where they can all find their voice. Yeah. And that sounds like it helps benefit teams when you're, you know, you're encouraging that kind of base level conflict so that there can be change, that there can be innovation. Yeah. Uh, It definitely sounds very beneficial. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, when I say encourage conflict, what is the question actually is it's of your podcast? Oh, the, the premise is just, you know, when you only know a little bit about something and then you run into the expert, Okay, it's just about having not enough information in a general topic. And then, uh, you know, finding yourself a little embarrassed or out of your depth or, you know, just being comfortable with that, you know, situation that people don't want to find themselves in. Yeah. Well, so, and I think this might be helpful for your listeners, from my standpoint, you know, conflict, when you go back to etymology, conflict means to strike together. And that's something when I teach, I always use physical examples. And so if if you think about striking together, I always have people just, if they're, if I've got a group of people, I'll have them, I have them get in pairs and I'll have one make a fist and the other push on it. And, but you could do that right now. And push together on your own fist and you feel that tension that's conflict and and that's what conflict is what most people think when they think of conflict is they think of destructive conflict but the, what makes it destructive is that you push too hard too long or too fast for the people involved and that's what ends up making it destructive so you really kind of got to know who who the people are that you're working with or that you're living with, because each person has a different tolerance and different response to conflict. Gotcha. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. so how does it work your program compared to other conflict programs that are out there? So much better. No, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think anything that creates some awareness around it is good. My program, I think, has more multi, it's more multidimensional than a lot of programs. Mine is not just, I work with the mind. So I, I, I educate the mind. I also work with the emotions. So, you know, emotional intelligence is a really big buzzwords, big buzzword these days. I've taught the idea of centering, which is finding that um, internal balance that we all have. And which really, when you're centered, you have more emotional intelligence and mindfulness. So those, both those things tend to be buzzwords. And I've had those in my program for, for many, many, many years. And then there's also the physical component, because, you know, what I find is if you can engage people physically, and when I, when I teach in person, I have people just do some light movement, but just, and, and you're, you know, you you and your listeners can try this when you're not, you know, when you're not driving or, or when you're not sitting at your computer and you're around another person, but just, you know, just push, get another person and just push. 
And then just one of you spiral, just one of you shift so that you're not pushing against each other, but don't disengage. And so there's huge, there's some huge nonverbal kinesthetic type of some somatic movement that happens with the type of teaching that I do. And so, and I think the other thing is, is, you know, I, I do say master conflict. I don't say, I don't, I don't really use the words. I mean, I use the words for promotion because people think this way, but the words conflict management and conflict resolution are actually in a sense, wanting to get rid of conflict. I'm really of the elk of, I really want to embrace conflict as a way of life, that it's a natural thing. And I have a thing on my website, I talk about how conflict is like water. And, and just like water, if you try to measure it, how you can see um, when water is mismanaged, where it costs money, you know, and I, I have a slideshow where I show, if you've ever experienced, um, like you hear a drip, have you ever had this experience? You hear a drip, but it's, it's really, it's like, oh, was, was that a drip? <laughs> and then you kind of forget about it. And then, then you hear it again and you think, gosh, I keep hearing this, this drip, but you don't, it's, it's something that's in the background that you don't really pay a lot of attention to because it's not in front of you. It's not causing you any problem, but it's, it's kind of that background thing. So then you find actually eventually that there's a drip in your crawl space or in your wall that if it's not tended to, it can get really big. And so that's, that's one of the things about water is if you don't pay attention to that drip, it gets into something bigger. And actually I've in that slideshow, I show a chandelier falling out of the, of the ceiling, you know, (laughs) because, you know, it's right there. And a, a lot of times we'll have those, those minor things we kind of ignore because they're really not right in front of us. And so I, I really kind of get people tuned into paying attention to those, those little things because, because even, you know, that you could actually have that drip that's in a faucet that's right in front of you too, that can actually be something that you, you come to just ignore and accept as part of what is it's that person that's always complaining or that person you keep asking to do something that doesn't follow through with what they want to do. And so then it ends up getting into this, starts out with just this little drip, but it builds into this really big thing that gets rather explosive. You know, of course, then there's big puddles that, that gather in places. And that's like managers can spend up to 40% of their time dealing with workplace conflict. conflict. And that's, that's huge in terms of what's the productivity that, you know, do you go to work every day and you've got these unresolved issues going on? So my work, I think what's different about my work, which was your initial question, and I've taken us on a little ride here, <laughs> but I think my work is really, I, I, I feel like the way I present it is much more relatable and much more practical than a lot of conflict things, because I, I, I really use a lot of analogies that are physical. I get us out of the head and I, I really work it down into the emotions and then actually do some physical representation. Yeah. Aside from hearing you know, some of those numbers, like you know, 40% of their time being spent on this, I'm now also thinking about my faucet in my bathroom, which has about a one a minute drip. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, the wall is going to collapse. This is it. <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and just to kind of another aside from that, it's a slight distraction in a way. So, yeah, you know, and you're in California, aren't you? Uh, I'm in Oregon. So. In Oregon. Well, you guys have got, you guys have got some water issues out there, don't you? Uh, we have a lot of water issues all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the Midwest and we, we have about the right amount of water in the country today. You know, I mean, we don't have too much. We don't, we have just, just right. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems in the summer we don't have any water. Uh-huh. And then in the other three quarters of the year, we have too much water everywhere. So. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of um a lot of your practice kind of works with this, you know, very physical engagement. The last year and a half must have caused you to to undergo some transitions in how you teach or or how you even distribute it to people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Colton. I published my second book. It's actually a second edition of my first book, but it's a it's a, it's a whole different. And the my book was launched on the day they shut everything down last year on March 17th, 2020. And um and it got bestseller actually on Amazon, which I felt very proud about. But yeah, I have I had been using Zoom for several years because I do have coaching clients that I would do that, do that with that weren't in town. So the transition to doing virtual wasn't as huge for me as it maybe was for some other people. And I'm going to say that my first in-person, because I speak at a lot of conferences and I do a lot of in-person things. My first event with a large group of people was, was two weeks ago in Boston. And it was it was just so wonderful to be in person with people because, you know, you can teach, I can teach people virtually and I've got a lot of video and I can get people up and moving virtually as well, but there's something about being in person that is, I think just so much more magical and impactful. And so I, I really love that in person. And, and actually I've, I've, I've just, I'm launching some programming that I just actually just uploaded to event, Eventbrite and that are virtual programs that I'll be providing to whoever wants to participate. And I also got a, I created a, well, I call it Jumpstart Your Power. And it's a on-demand video uh, private membership site that I have. I have six videos that are 10 minutes long that I demonstrate all the physical movements with that, that are in my program. And so it's a, there's a live blog with it. And, and I've got some really interesting participation on that blog, but that's an ongoing kind of, kind of thing. So, yeah. And I've actually started writing for Newsweek. They reached out to me a few months ago and invited me to be part of their expert panel. So that's, that's really fun to be able to get a, a wider group of readers than I've had before. So yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is huge. It is huge. So yeah, so you can go to Newsweek extra and Google Karen Polensic and read what I've written. So I've written, I've had two articles published. And one is mastering the art of conflict from a black belt perspective in business. And then the other one is, let's see, I titled it, um, Never Say If Only Again, Four Tips to Avoid 
disasters in business. And so, and because I think a lot of disasters are, there's always somebody that wasn't listened to when things go bad. <laughs> and history will show that. I mean, every, after every disaster, there's somebody that knew something bad was going to happen, but th they were ignored. So I wrote an article about that as well. So that yeah. goes back to the engineer in me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the classically ignored population. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, congratulations on the, uh, the Newsweek publication. Yeah, well. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That, that is a little bit of a feather in my cap, so. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly don't have anything published, so that's, you know, 100% all the time better than me. Yeah, well, do you have an idea of something you'd like to publish, write about? Uh, I don't think I'm, I'm uh, necessarily <laughs> good at any one thing enough to uh, publish, but. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, I studied engineering in school, so I was a good technical writer, but I recognized early in my business that writing, it, it serves my population. Um, if I don't write, I don't leave my legacy. I don't, I've been blogging for 20 years <clears throat> and um, yeah. So, and, and actually through that consistent writing, it, it's really, my books kind of fell out of my writing my blogging and the work I was doing with clients. So it kind of all fell together. I, I, it's not that simple, but it was a lot of steps over a lot of years that made it easier to come through. So. Yeah. And it all came together. Mm -hmm. It did. It did. So in working with some of these corporate teams, what have you found to be the most difficult conflicts to kind of navigate? Well, I think the most difficult ones, and I've learned a couple times kind of in a hard way, uh, when, there, when there are politics involved in the upper management, that is really the, I think, the most difficult types of conflicts to deal with. And I, I think when you have more than one master or one, more than one leader that's directing a team, that can be very problematic if they're not aligned. And, and so that's one thing that I've learned. The other thing that I've learned is, and I, I use the analogy, Colton, of a woods. Now in the Midwest, uh, I think a, the analogy of a really great team is like a, a woods, a healthy woods. And in the Midwest, that would be a lot of different varieties of trees that are all growing in their strength. And those are all the members of the team. And some of them are trees and some of them are undergrowth and they, they all grow. But what happens on a team, at least in the Midwest, we have honeysuckle. In the South, they have kutsu. And perhaps in Oregon, they have something else, but they're invasive species. And what comes in, it comes in and it kills the team and it takes over. And I, I like to use that analogy because the honeysuckle is whatever is the most dominant personality in that culture, because teams are really a culture. And one of the things I've noticed is unless a leader and a team is very conscious about the culture, the honeysuckle will come in and take over. And so I look at that when I work with a team as I come in and I actually teach people about conflict and how to master it. How to own their power and then I engage a team 
in what I call, I, I engage them in really defining what their culture is. And I, I take them through a dialogue. I have them reflect on, I have them reflect typically on three questions. And then I, I take them through a process of, of dialogue about those, those questions. And then I take them through a process where they, they actually create a, what I call a credo. Uh, that would be a short list of yes or no questions that they hold each other accountable to. And that process is so powerful because typically teams just start and they, they don't really talk about these things. So there's three questions I ask, and this comes out of a body of work that's called appreciative inquiry, which you can Google and you'll get millions of, of answers. But appreciative inquiry is, is an idea that you look to what you know is already true. And so the three questions are for each person to reflect on a time that they loved working with a group of people. And what was that experience and what made it special? And just what are the elements of that experience that really made it a great group experience? The second question is to reflect on their their own personal values and what they see as the values of their team and organization. And then the third thing is what are the three wishes that they have for this team or this group or whatever it is. And those are three incredibly powerful questions that when we create dialogue about it, it really creates a body of information of what do those people want and in my experience, what happens when you do that is you create a container for that team. And I've had, and I always tell leaders that they will likely have people leave that, that when you try to create something, they may not want to stay on this team and they may opt to leave. And that's a good thing because they can't buy into the collective. And, and these, these credos aren't things that are bizarre or unusual. As a matter of fact, most often teams will say, well, that's just common sense. And it is common sense, except for the fact they're not doing it. And, and a lot of organizations will have their values on the wall, but, but you know, the values are really what are people actually doing? And rarely do I find people consistently following those values. And, and so the point of doing all that is to have them have a stop gap thing that they can say right now we're not following what we've agreed to and i have i have those formed in in the grammatical structure of a question because a question begs an answer so if our question is is am i showing respect to my coworkers that the answer to that is either yes or no and so so anyway that's the i i'd go through all that that detail in my book but getting back to the question you asked is what do I find when I work with teams? And one of them big things is the fact that a culture is something that has to be very consciously created. And, and Colton, what I find, and I don't know who all your listeners are, but when, you know, right now with the pandemic, a lot of people are starting businesses and something that people that are entrepreneurs are starting a business that's small need to consider when you begin a business, you tend to attract a certain type of person that tends to be self-starters, 
they tend to be really kind of dominant personalities and, and they, they go for it kind of attitude. And I have, I have a client that actually I, I help coach through the process of becoming a small entrepreneurial company into a much larger company. And they needed to hire people that were different than the people that they, that they started with. Because to run an ongoing business requires a whole different type of personality. And so when you're a small business and you're growing into something bigger, thinking about culture and who you're bringing together is keenly important. Otherwise, you know, a lot of partners, partners in business will fail because they don't have that ability to have conflict and move through it and have agreement around that. And that's just, that's something they can learn. And if they are, if they have an intention. So if I put you to sleep, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I have and, no problem talking. Do I? No. <laughs> oh, hey, that's good. That's what you're, uh, that's what I brought you in for because yeah. I'm just here to, you know, ask, uh, ask any yeah. question that I might have that might, might be obvious or it just facilitate yeah. conversation. Yeah. And, you know, kind of getting back to that team thing, you know, it's interesting. I had one team, that, um, and I, I think people can kind of relate to this perhaps is I had this one team and it wasn't a huge team and they had, there was one woman on this team that seemed like the superstar on this team to me. And when we went through this process, we were kind of almost to the end of it. And she announced <laughs> that she was, she decided to leave. And she said, you know, through this process, I realized that I'm, I'd rather be in a different type of job serving in a different way. And I don't want to say too much about her to keep identities. I, I've done a lot of work in healthcare. And so she, she left. And part of me was like, oh my God, she was like their superstar. But she left. And when she left, and she's what I would call as a blocker, she was a high performer, but she kind of snuffed everybody else out. So when she left, everybody else's performance got better. And it was so cool to watch. So those dynamics of a team are really fascinating. It sounds almost kind of like having an anchor on a uh -huh. boat. Like it's huge. It's noticeable. It does a, a job very well, but it also drags everything else down. Yeah. 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 And, and it's interesting how someone that's a high performer can, act, can actually do that. And you're not even aware of it until they're gone. So I, I've just seen so many fun, cool things working with people. I find people fascinating. Yeah, it definitely yeah. sounds like it. And yeah, a lot of those, like you said, you know, they might be uh, that high performer and it seems counterintuitive to, to have them not there, but it's almost like, you know, what you talked about earlier, they're very obvious questions that need answered, but no one's asking them. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. What does this person do to bring up the rest of the people? And, you know, I, th I think that Colton, I think the I think the work world has forever changed. And I saw a headline to an article that I didn't read over the weekend that that said something about perhaps that the, the idea of a manager is dead. And perhaps that's true. But but, you know, if you want a team and you want it to be productive, you've got to have people on it that that are about bringing everybody with them. This whole thing of having this lone wolf that I'm going to be the expert and you all are my subordinates. That's really, I think, becoming a thing of the past. 
And we know that people leave organizations because they don't feel good about their direct report. That's, that's why most people leave organizations. And, and so those skills of being able to engage are, are I think, becoming more and more important. Yeah. And what you said is kind of rings true. A lot of employees find their management or their upper leadership, you know, to kind of be in opposition to whatever they're trying to do. And they feel very just powerless because of the way it's set up. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I came out, as I said earlier, I studied engineering in school and my first job, I was, um, I was a product development engineer in the auto industry and I worked for a division of General Motors. And I was the I was one of the very first women engineers there. And which was fine. I mean, that wasn't unusual for me because I went, I grew up with brothers and I was in school. I was one woman to 10 men back then. So, but what I found, what I found is when you're in a large organization, really being able to have your voice and really feel like you're contributing can be really difficult. And so I didn't, you know, I left that work actually because of my, I had children and I decided to, I was introduced to this work and it had to, I have to say it was introduced to the type of work I do at a dental conference. And I initially studied with a man named Tom Crum, who C-R-U-M, who wrote a book called The Magic of Conflict. And that work changed my life. And see, I guess that's when you ask me what's different about my work is it becomes so obvious how we are dysfunctional in conflict that it's really hard to ignore. But I just found that the concepts really made me look at how I gave my power away and how I really kind of sabotaged myself and I, and I didn't find my voice. So, so I think it's, I think it's really powerful to be able to see that um, Colton, I know I just went off track and I can't remember what your question was. Where, where was I going? No, you're good. <laughs> I, I think it's fascinating a lot to listen to these. So anyone who's listened to any prior episode already knows I love tangents. So, uh-huh. okay, good. That well, just you know, well, I was, I was reflecting over this past week. Cause I've, I've set up these courses. I'm going to be teaching through Eventbrite and I created, I was creating some just little video vignettes to talk, introduce people to myself. And when I first started my business a long time ago, I had a marketing expert tell me that I was focused on conflict and it was going to be really hard to sell something everybody wanted to avoid. And, and I have thought about that a lot over the years and I have marketed my programs as, and actually I've got a a thing on my website, I call it jumpstart your power, but I thought about that a lot when he said that, but you know, when I look at my client list and I look at where my bread and butter has been, it's been working with people in conflict because I think people tend to, in psychology, they will say people will, will invest more of their energy and their time and their resources to get out of pain then they will to elevate their performance or to create more pleasure. And I think that as I look at it, that marketing person was right in the fact that people want to avoid conflict, but he was wrong in the fact of it being a bad business decision, because the truth is, is 
people when they have conflict will call me and they they are desperate to get out of it they want to they want to move into something else and so i think that's a kind of an interesting observation is is do I market it as mastering conflict or do I master it as power with grace? It's kind of interesting. It's, it's the same side of the, it's two different sides of the same coin. And you, the, the wonderful thing about mastering conflict is I think you really find freedom when you understand what conflict is and you have the tools that you can shift it from something that's destructive into something that is actually creates more power and energy and creativity and innovation for yourself and your team. So, so I find it fascinating. Well, yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you said there's two camps of people and one of those wants to, you know, find the preventative measure. Uh-huh. Like, if we learn how to do this now, we won't have, you know, so much pain in the future. And the other group is the exact opposite, where they're like, we have experienced a great amount of pain. We've really torn ourselves apart. And now we need to put ourselves back together. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been involved in some teams that it's, it's pretty ugly. And, and, um, and, you know, and it's, it's, um, <laughs> and it, it can, it can change, but you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard on everybody when you get to that point. But Yeah. It's Absolutely. True. Getting into it. It's so much easier. <laughs> and that's that this is one of the truisms I, I tell people. It's so much easier to get into things than to get out of things. And I think that's something you should always think about. I mean, just the mere fact if you're if you've got a new roommate moving in your house, that sounds like that might be a great idea, but do you talk about the details? Because the fact is, it's hard to get somebody out of your house once they're in there. <laughs> or if you, you know, you hire somebody, and that's a that's a such a tr- big and tricky decision is hiring somebody or somebody. You know, I was talking to I was talking to my nephew. He's in a, a he's changing jobs right now, and he's you know he's like, well, if I change cities. And they need me to move. That's a huge commitment to me. So what do I need to think about before I get into something? Because getting out of it gets to be a lot of energy. It costs money. It's, it's all those things. So, so anyway, it's just like having babies. You wouldn't know about that. But I have two daughters. <laughs> it's fun, fun to create. But, you know, what you, what you got to go through that process. And it's easy to get into things and it's harder to get out of things. So not trying to get out of being a parent. I'm just using a <laughs> physical metaphor there. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you, you brought up good examples, which is, you know, hiring somebody, even if it's for a limited job or bringing in a new roommate. Uh, I think those are all very relatable to people. And yeah, I have jumped, you know, feet first into both things and uh, ran into issues. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and you don't think about it because when you're starting something new, you're usually excited about it. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. And yeah, I think that when you have, I call that future pacing, you know, when I was an engineer, we had a thing, we call it design failure mode analysis. And we went through every aspect of a, of our, of our product and thought about what if something were to go wrong here? What could go wrong 
and what would happen if it went wrong and what can we do to prevent prevent it from going wrong and i think it's the same thing with all all these decisions we make um once you get into it you know i bought a timeshare a long time ago I, it was the worst decision i ever made <laughs> No one should ever buy it. As a matter of fact, if any of your listeners want a free timeshare, have them reach out to me because I'm happy. I would happily give it away. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. It seems like one of those things people talk about where they're like, oh yeah, timeshares are the biggest trap. And yet they're, they have to be a huge industry because it's happening all the time. You hear the story every week where somebody's like, and I bought a timeshare and I don't know what I was doing. Well, you know what? I mean, I think in, in theory, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of people that have them and love them. I think it just, it sounds more ideal at the time you buy it than, I mean, I just kind of thought it would be great because then it would force me to go on vacation. And what I find is year after year, I just, they don't have a place where I want to stay or don't have anyone to go with, or I, you know, there's all these different things around it. And um, so again, I would love to, I would happily give this to somebody and, and I haven't put a lot of energy in doing that, but if anybody's out there wants a timeshare, happy to give it to you. (laughs) There you go. Ring me up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's kind of like free advice, I guess, you know? Yeah. 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 The other thing that always seems to come up um, just in, in thinking about, you know, conflict and people having these problems that they run into is this kind of preconceived bias. You know, everybody has their own side of the story and they have their own image of what the other side looked like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that seems like a really hard thing to work through. Well, thank you for, for, for bringing that up, because I think at this point in our country and in the world, that is that point is very well taken. And actually, uh, my next Newsweek article, I'm 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 looking at addressing this. But you know, so many people will say, and you know, we've got this COVID thing, and we got the mask, no mask, the vaccine or no vaccine. And what I, what I find, and of course, then there's the whole political scene too. And, and, and there's those things in the broader culture, but then there's also those things within relationship and within organizations. We have what we believe are contrasting opinions. And now what's interesting is oftentimes people will say, well, I'm not going to even bother talking to them because they will not change their mind. And right there, that is such great information. I'm not going to talk to them because they will not change their mind. And when you look at that statement, and when somebody says that to me, it's a big red flag because you're saying that you've got the right answer and they will not change their mind. But you're also saying, I'm not going to change my mind. And so when you go into a conversation and you are so 100% committed to your, the aspect of, of, of your position, um, you're going to lose that. If you go into the conversation with, I'd like to learn and understand 
where someone's coming from, that's where you can actually have a dialogue and some understanding and actually create a create a bond. And I find, uh, you know, let's just use vaccines for an example. You know, we in this country, we have a lot of people that have been alienated about this vaccine. And part of it is just the approach people have taken. And I, you know, of course I have my, I have what my personal choices are, which doesn't matter necessarily in this conversation. What does matter is that how do you, how, what do you do with people when they have a different idea than you do? I think it's really insightful if you can say, I, you know, I, I made a different choice. I'd like to understand how you're making your choice. What, what, what about it is important to you? And then really listen to them because it's that willingness to listen is where great minds come together. And that's where possibility is. And, you know, I, I've lived long enough to know that I've had some pretty strong opinions when I was younger that I don't feel that way about it anymore at all because I've gotten more information. So I think that we do ourselves a disfavor when we come into a conversation with, with that idea that they won't change and I must change them. That's when we, we lose. And I'll tell you something, I, I, I am, okay, I'm gonna tell you a personal story about this. So last year, I have a colleague of mine who I feel like we share values and he had posted a picture on Facebook that showed the, the baseball players um, last year when they went back to play baseball. And all these players, except for one, took a knee for the national anthem. And then in this picture, the guy was standing, was circled, and it said, hero. And I reached out to the person and I said, you know, I'd really love to have some conversation about this because in my world, getting on a knee was always an extreme sense of respect. A man got on his knee to propose to a woman for marriage. In my martial arts practice, when we have a teacher, we get on our knees to show respect. So nowhere in my experience was there a time when taking a knee, getting on your knee was considered an insult. And I would really like to understand. So I, I really reached out as an interested party to understand. And my mistake in doing that is I should have called him and not written a Facebook post. And um, what's interesting is he deleted my post. And I thought, and then I sent him a text. I said, did you delete my post? <laughs> And, and he said, yeah, I did. He said, it's too complex. And I'm thinking, well, I said, if we can't talk about, if you and I can't talk about this, then who can? And I, and I sincerely would love to have had a conversation. I mean, I still would like to have a conversation about it because I think it's us talking, it's people talking that have a curiosity around the other side is where movement happens. But, you know, it also requires a sincere curiosity. And I think the tricky part gets to be is they, the, they, they say, now I should be able to quote who they are, but it's kind of known in 
in the circles that I work in, that 95% or more of our communication is nonverbal. And so the different signs that we get when we're communicating from other people that we respond to, a lot of it's not even what the words we're saying. It's the, the way we say them. It's the tone of voice. It's the physical posture. It's the, you know, even, even a slight lean in towards somebody can be viewed as a, as an attack, depending on the relationship and the context. So, I mean, there's a lot of subtleties in communication. Absolutely. And I think in, in our greater society, we do, we have run into that problem where Mm -hmm. it feels like, even if that's not the intent, people are trying to, you know, shout each side down and I'm not going to single out any one side because I think both sides do it. Yeah. I think we try and we try and shout each other down instead of just, you know, taking the chance at being wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm always willing going into any conversation to be like, oh, I guess I was entirely wrong. And now because of the information that's been presented to me, I have to change my, you know, frame of mind. Yeah. And that takes a really big person to do that, Colton. Um, And actually, that's part of the article I'm writing right now is so often people will dig dig their heels in on on an issue. And when you think about it, changing your mind is huge. I mean, if you just think it from a physical standpoint, if you've dug your heels in, now you've got to, you've got to do some heavy lifting to get back on the, on the balls of your feet (laughs) to actually be able to move somewhere. And, and it, it's, it's much harder. It's, it's hard for someone to say, yeah, I see your point now. I hadn't thought about that. And, and part of it, and I think that's part of why creating the space in really authentic dialogue is really important in order for someone to feel comfortable to say, yeah, I'm, I'm wrong on, I'm wrong on that. And thank you for letting me see something different. And uh, I guess that's part of the, what do you do if you want to have that conversation and one side or both sides of the argument you're looking at are both like they just have this anger behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you how do you overcome that? Yeah, you know, well, for one thing, I always say trying to have a rational conversation with somebody that's really angry is when they're angry is just it's it's futile. I mean, and and I would not even try to do that. Now, if they're not in their emotional state of being angry, you know. So, so, so let me show, get, let me share my model spiral impact. There's, there's five at a 30,000 foot viewpoint. There's five, five keys. So the first key is recognizing that you got conflict. So when you say that you've got this difference with this person, so you recognize that already. So now these other four, what I call quadrants. And that's, again, it's just how I've modeled this. And all of these are important. You can shift things with one of them, or you can shift things with all of them. Um, but, But there are four really important things that create that spiral. And so one of them is actually to be really centered. And, you know, I alluded to that earlier, that emotional and intelligence, that mindfulness. 
I like to use the analogy of uh, a storm, a tornado or a hurricane has that really calm eye in the center of it. And so when you have a difficult conversation, you wanna be in the calm center, not in those outer bands. And so that, that being in that state is something that I work on every day. So I have practices where I do breathing and I do, and, and certainly if I'm gonna have a challenging conversation or I'm doing something that kind of scares me, I, I get, I have, I want to be centered so that I can, I, I can be directing my storm rather than not the storm, but I want to be, I want to be calm. So I'm not creating more of a push. And that's that thing of people feel whether you're centered or not, but if you, if they feel like you've got this, this, energy that's trying to make you change they'll sense that so really when you're centered you're kind of coming from a place of prior fulfillment now that's one quadrant is are you centered the another quadrant is what i call the knowledge quadrant and there's knowledge about myself about the other person about whatever it is we're talking about and you really get to the to the you really access that by thinking through when you have conflict almost always you're making statements about the other person or the situation. So you might be saying, well, like I said earlier, they will never change. Why bother? So if you're saying that, then you're not prepared to have that conversation. You might be saying, here we go again. You know, he always does this or she always does this. So we, we make statements about it that um, that really, if we if you make those statements, you stay stuck there. So I always have people think through what statements they are making and think through how do you change those statements into questions so that the question could be, I'd really like to understand what motivates their position on this. I wonder what they might know that I don't know. I wonder who their sources of information are. See, and you can just feel that when you hear me say those things, it creates a whole different energy. So I, I guide people to think about um, changing your statements into questions, acknowledgements, or both. And acknowledgements also could be, you know, I know, you know, I know we may see this differently, and I'd really like to, I'd like to explore this with you because I respect you. I respect you. And I'd really like to know more about how you see this. Um, now, if you don't feel that way, don't say that, but that could be another, another thing. So, okay, so, so two keys so far is being centered and then changing your statements into questions and acknowledgements or both. And then the, the third thing I'm gonna say is get clear on your intention. Most often we, if, if we were to verbalize our intention, we might be embarrassed. <laughs> so for example, my intention in what we're talking about, which is having a conversation with someone that feels differently, my intention oftentimes is, and, and through my conversations with people, my intention is, is try to get them to change. And so if, if that's what your intention is, that's what that person will feel. But if your intention is, maybe you do want to get them to change, but maybe in a broader sense, 
you know, if you want to get back to vaccines and masks, maybe the intention is, is, gosh, I just want this pandemic to stop altering our lifestyle so much. That's a great intention. And I think that we probably all feel that way. So if we start from there, that becomes a different conversation than you need to do what I think is the right thing to do with this. So, so thinking through your intention in, in any kind of conflict or actually any kind of communication you have is really a good thing to think through. What's your intention? What is it that you want that you don't have? And, and that's something that I think is often missing from a lot of conflict courses is, is really thinking through what, what is my intention? And I talk about three levels, the bigger picture, the deeper personal, which is my, my deeper personal intention is to honor myself and others. And so I bring that to my conversations. I don't necessarily verbalize it, but that's, that's what I try to bring to what I do in my life. And then the immediate intention. So that's the third one. And in having those lined up is crucially important in terms of really being effective. So if, if my bigger picture is I want the pandemic to end, my deeper personal is to honor myself and others, that informs my immediate intention. What am I going to do right now? What am I doing now to do that? And so that sets me up. And so you could start with having a conversation around that. So, okay, so to, so to kind of, we've talked about four things. One is you got to recognize you've got the conflict. Two is get centered. Three is change your, increase your knowledge by changing your statements to questions, acknowledgements, or both. And four is clarifying your intention. And the last one is support. And support um, looks like, you know, I support people that I coach. You know, you, support could look like reading a book. It could be journaling. It could be writing. It could be listening to a podcast. It could be, what are the things that support you? Having a people that you trust that are trusted advisors are great support. So, so who, what kind of support do you have? And so what you'll find is if you take those five things and play around with them, you'll get, you'll get somewhere. Yeah. And those are, I mean, every time you bring one up, I'm like, yeah, that's critical. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely need this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, like I said, that's 30,000 feet, but you know, the first article I published in Newsweek, I, I started out by just saying that I heard these two people, I overheard a conversation. One person said, I feel this. And the other person said, well, I feel this. And I could tell they were trying to apply conflict resolution skills to their conversation. But at the same time, I could hear the conflict elevating, <laughs> But because they are in the weeds, that's a technique that's a higher, that's a more complex, nuanced technique trying to use that language. But if the intention is not behind it, and it's so much easier to just ask what, express your intention and ask questions that, but don't ask why, don't ask, why do you feel that way? Because you'll get a defensive answer. So again, there's, there's nuance in here, but there's those basic things you can really find um, extremely helpful. So yeah, the other, you know, the other thing I use with people a lot is I look at personality and I use a, um, I use a Wiley um, everything disc um, assessment that I have people do on, on a team or individually. And, 
And it talks about personality styles. And, and actually there's one that's specifically about productive conflict and different personalities will respond differently. And, and that's really helpful to know as well. That's a part of the knowledge piece as well as what do I know about my own personality that can be a challenge here that what might trigger me and what do I know about the other people around me that may be challenging to me as well? So is that the, the disc assessment that tests like the, uh, your dominant behavior, your, um, I have forgotten so many of these, but so, one, one yeah, is yeah. your like interpersonal and then your emotional intelligence and then your like computational. Like your yeah, it's technical. actually, it's disc is D I S C. And so the D is dominant personality. That's someone that's motivated by um, problem solving. The I is what we call an influencer, and that person's motivated by people and that connection with people. And the S is steady, and steady is motivated by um, pace. So that's a person that likes to have things kind of copacetic and easy-paced. And then the C is called is for conscientiousness, and that's a person that's motivated by precision and procedure, the rules. And so we all have a combination of that. And um, yeah, it's, I think, you know, I never used to like to do those kinds of things because I don't like, I do not like putting people in categories. I just, and I, I really never liked doing that stuff before myself, but what I find is, is it's so helpful. And I find, you know, we all have those aspects within us. And for me, as I, I grow personally, is I want to grow those parts of me that aren't so great. And, you know, my disc is, I'm a high I S and then I have a tail that is a C, which means I, I have not a C, a D. So I have, and I have, I have no C, I have no, none of that precision and procedure stuff, <laughs> but you know, here I am, I was an engineer. <laughs> And people will always say, well, how could you be an engineer? And it's like, you know, not only was I an engineer, but when I worked for General Motors, it was, you know, my, I was a, um, I did this stuff, it was called finite element design. And it was before we had computers to digitize things. <laughs> and I did that by hand and I actually got good results. And it, but you know, it wasn't enjoyable and it, it was stressful for me, but I could do it. And so, and that's what I always tell people is this is kind of your natch. This is where you are, but that doesn't mean that you can't do something that's different than that, because that's just a matter of learning new behaviors. And so you can do it. Yeah. I, I asked, cause I had taken a disc assessment um, a couple of years back for work and mine was extraordinarily high in the C category. Uh-huh. Great. Um, and my D was like a one. Uh-huh. <laughs> so out of a hundred, they're like, you have you have almost nothing in this category, which is so strange. They're like, but it just means that like if you want to do that thing, something in that category, like it's more, you know, it's going to be a little more exhausting to do it. You're going to have to put more effort into it because it's not natural. So do you does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as Colton, I mean, I don't, 
I've never met you before you reached out to me, but I would say someone that's putting together a podcast and reaching out to people that they don't know. I mean, I, I think you're doing this is, a, is, is not a very C-ish thing. I mean, there's C parts of it, but I'd say it's a D and a I, I, maybe not a, yeah, I'd say you bringing in all those different components. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations to you. Yeah. And part of that's just, you know, you have to find your passion in it. And Mm -hmm. this is something I was passionate about and I'm not good at all of the things, but I'm trying and I'm enjoying it. And that's, you know, that's what's mattered to me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be starting a podcast too, but you know, and I have no C, so you and I, maybe we should be working together. Yeah. (laughs) I track, I track data all day. That's my favorite thing. And it is the weirdest thing about me. Yeah. That's People not it. Like, why do you use all this, these numbers? I'm like, I, don't, I just love the numbers. They show results. They show me what I'm looking at. That's great. And you know what, what happens with me? I love people that love the numbers because I don't love the numbers. And so I, I, and I think that's a sign of maturity when you recognize that those are the you 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 want to bring together people that that have different strengths than you do and so i realize i can do those numbers but do i love it no i don't love it <laughs> yeah but i can do it but i would much rather have somebody else that does it so yeah well yeah. that's awesome though you're setting up yeah. a podcast yourself i am i am i'm i may not be quite as fancy as you are in the beginning but i mean it's not uh not very fancy <laughs> If you could see the other side of what I'm looking at, it is not, um, yeah, not a super professional setup, but yeah. I'm well, I mean, I'm obviously my living room here. So, but Hey, it's a nice room. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, if people want to reach out and find more about what you've got going on or the classes that you teach, where could they find it? So I think the best place is to go to my website, which is spiralimpact.com. It's also karenvalensic.com, but spiral impact is much easier to spell. <laughs> so it takes you to the same place. And I have some, actually on my resource page there, I have some free, free downloads um, that you're welcome to access. And I actually have a couple, I have a couple videos there that are of uh, one of my favorite teachers who passed away a few years ago and he has beautiful Aikido. So I've, I've put some Aikido videos there because, you know, you can Google Aikido and you can get a, a zillion different opinions on it. But in terms of what I see as beautiful Aikido, um, I've got that there. As I mentioned, you know, I mean, I try to make things accessible for everyone. And my book is available anywhere you buy books. I highly recommend the Black Belt edition of it because it's 13 years newer than the old one. And it's got about 40% different content in it. So it's very much a how-to book. I, I wrote it so that it would be easy to read. And actually a, a colleague of mine was telling me the other day, she says, I'm, I read your book at lunchtime. She says, I love it because it's bite-sized pieces. So I have short stories. I have different things in there. And then I also, you know, obviously I've got some online content and I've got it listed in an Eventbrite. But then I also have Jumpstart Your Power that's accessible on my on my um, website too. And I'll probably get the Eventbrite stuff put on there. I haven't done that yet, but I don't know when you'll be publishing this, but 
anyway. It'll be a little bit, but it'll be know, a little bit. When By people then, are hearing it, they'll look backwards anyway. So yeah, true, true. So and then of course I, you know, I've I come in, you know, I I work with teams, I work with leaders, and I speak at conferences. So so it's really fun. I just spoke at a, that conference in in Boston that was a lot of people in the construction industry. So um, that's always a fun fun thing because it's not your typical conference presentation. So no. those are all the ways. There's lots of ways. Yeah. So a lot so, of videos out. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. People should reach out and they should find your work because it is. I mean, just from this conversation, it seems very good, and. Mm -hmm. I, I can see how it could be applied without, you know, needing, you know, 700 hours to put into just learning a simple thing. Yeah. And so, and I would even encourage anyone listening to this is, you know, bookmark it, listen to it, think of, consider the stuff and then listen to it again in two or three months. And what do you hear that's different? Because you, you, you go to a different place and we're in, you know, life is is like that so yeah absolutely and you hear you hear and hear and see things differently than you did before because yeah, you're in a different in, place on that spiral that's right and you, you, know? you know you learn new pieces and you put mm -hmm. together you know a new picture every time you do it so i would definitely say this is maybe you listen to it quarterly or something like that that you just oh yeah i forgot that i need to you know this, this very simple process because I've been, you know, so deep in the weeds that I, I wasn't even thinking about this. Yeah. You know, this one thing that I should be doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think sometimes we make things more complicated than they need to be. You know, I'm also on LinkedIn. So, and I, I publish stuff there on a regular basis. So, and I'm also, I've got a Vimeo channel and I, I've got a YouTube. I've been trying to post more things to so, so, and I've got lots of videos and stuff on my website. So there's, there's lots of information out there. Well, good. So. I think everybody needs to go look and uh, yeah. hey. thank you a lot for being on here. It has been incredibly informative and I appreciate it immensely. I appreciate um, you giving voice to this most important information that I think is only becoming more valuable every year. Yeah, absolutely. When I was I was telling people like, oh, this is who I have on my next interview that I'm going to be talking to. People are like, oh, that's going to be really good. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, of course it will be. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, it is really good. And, you know, I was going to say in terms of a, a, a free, one of my free resources that is on my web, on my resource pages, I have a, I created an audio production a few years ago. And it's when I talked about centering this is a centering practice for while you're driving. And I, I talk more about specifically what that is and then how to sit in your car and so that you can breathe. And then I have like a 15 minute and it's got acoustical guitar in the background. And it's like where you're, if you're going somewhere in the morning to work and then when you're leaving and you don't have to be, you don't necessarily have to be driving. I designed it that way because when I created it, most people I was talking to drove to work. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I need to rethink that. No, <laughs> but anyway, but you don't have to be driving anywhere, but it's, it's, it's a way of reinforcing those ideas as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, I'll, anyway. I'll let you go and we will uh, yeah. chat more later. That sounds great, Colton. Hey, you have a great week. You too. I will. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. People who use Spotify, pretty, pretty please, please press that button on the show page that has a star on it and give us a five star. It won't rank or display this podcast on recommendation pages until it hits the minimum amount of ratings, and we're not quite there yet. Uh, It only takes quite literally two seconds, and it helps the show out an enormous amount. Speaking of helping the show out, tell a friend and family about this show. Word of mouth is the greatest marketing tool on the planet, and has given us such great listeners, maybe even including yourself. But I know why you're really here. It's for the global ranking update, right? Well... Here it is. There's still no drumroll. Number one, the United States. By a pretty good margin, but it is actually still slipping over the last few weeks, uh, especially when compared to everywhere else. So people in the U.S., get back on it. Start sharing it more. Number two, the U.K., putting some distance between it and number three, Canada. Don't worry, Canada, you didn't lose people or anything like that. Everyone else just gained new listeners by comparison. Number four, Australia making a valiant effort and winding up just below Canada by maybe a handful of people. And finally, number five, Iran growing even a little bit more and solidifying their number five slot. I'm still not sure who all is listening there because I didn't get an email from anybody last week, but just know that I appreciate the listens and the shares. It does not go unnoticed. And that's it for the penultimate listing for the first 25 episodes. It's been such a crazy ride getting here. I never thought that this would be my situation a handful of months in after starting a show that I just thought was going to be entertaining to me. But I I couldn't be happier. Honestly, I couldn't. Thank you again, everyone, for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode, maybe even live. Until then... Bye-bye.